Section 9. Future-proofing. Positively popular. There's only one rule I know of, babies. God damn it, you've got to be kind. Kurt Vonnegut. Talent will only get you so far. Same with hard work. How far? Well, all the way to the top, potentially. But we can't all be super talented, or else that level of talent would be the norm and thus nothing special. And hard work is, well, hard. So the smart among us make an effort to help ourselves out in any way we can, to give ourselves some advantages. One way to help yourself along is to be popular. Not in the sense of being a shallow people-pleaser or compromising yourself to add some more friends to your contacts list, but being caring, thoughtful, and dependable will help you out in the long run. Not only do you need to be the best damn performer you can be, you need to be as professional as possible with all your commitments. And also, it helps if you're not an asshole. It will help you get ahead. And I know this may sound cynical, but if the end result is just you being a more helpful team player, then I'd argue that the ends justify the means. Besides, I'll bet you're already a nice person. You might be an introvert or an extrovert, be brimming with confidence and drive or or suffer from cripplingly low self-esteem. But regardless, just do your best to be a decent person in addition to continuing to hone your craft. Get out of your way and do something nice for someone else. If you see a show and really appreciate someone's set, let them know, and be as supportive a player as you can. Now, I know saying, be positive, can sound like a whole load of hooey. I mean, it's not quite as useless as telling someone who suffers from depression to cheer up, as if they'd never considered that as a possibility, but it seems to sit in the same category. However, here's the thing. Being positive isn't necessarily tied to an emotional state. It's just a way of seeing the world, and it can actually affect outcomes. If you lean in towards a positive perspective, stuff will work out for you. Not, of course, necessarily in the way you want, but at least in some way. Winners are losers who didn't quit. I guess the other option is, if you're not loving it, quit for a while, maybe forever. The fact is, we've only got one life to live, and if you're not getting enough out of something you spend a lot of time doing, like improv, then give it up. Or, alternately, figure out a way to make it fun for you again. So you don't have to be happy to be positive. In fact, by maintaining a glass-half-full perspective, stuff will work out for you, or at least it will seem to, thanks to your upbeat outlook. It should be easy to think this way, because improv as an art form thrives on accidents, small breakdowns, and little miscommunications or missteps. So when things go sideways in life, it can actually be good news, as it's something our improv training has prepared us for. There's a little footnote here, which is that that might not actually be true, but it is a useful lie we can tell ourselves. End of chapter. Five years from now. Comparison is the thief of joy. Theodore Roosevelt. Life is nasty, brutish, and short. It's full of difficulties. People are imperfect and sometimes inscrutable. The best laid plans go awry and dreams run aground. What was once fun becomes tedious. What was once exhilarating causes heartburn. So of course at times things get frustrating. This happens no matter the pursuit. In improv, you'll undoubtedly get knocked back, have a run of terrible shows, 
be part of an interpersonal conflict on your team, get a director who doesn't understand you, nail an audition but not get the part, or any number of a million other little things. And it can get frustrating. It might even make you want to pack it in. Don't. The easiest way to get perspective is to ask yourself the big question. Will this matter in five years? The answer is almost always no. In five years, a poor character choice, a flat moment, a weak show, a blown showcase, a script that didn't turn out as funny as you'd hoped, none of it will really matter. In fact, the odds are pretty good that you'll be the only one who remembers it. That's how little it means to other people, and also how little it means in the big picture. The thing that will matter is that you did something you got a lot of joy out of and didn't get too down over little setbacks. Of course, if you're looking to make improv or a related pursuit into a professional thing, well, all the more reason to suck it up and let it go. That little thing doesn't matter, regardless of how huge a deal it seemed in the moment. That's the way we need to think about it. The fact is that much of life is out of our control. All you can control, in fact, is your own work and your attitude to it. Besides, you need to fuck up a lot to get to the point where you start making consistent successes. So enjoy those fuck-ups. They're getting you in the right direction, even if it doesn't seem like it. Quit your day job. Or don't. Don't quit your day job. Some jerk. Improv is a difficult thing to make a living at. Don't take my word for it. Just look around your improv community. Most people who make a living at it make a marginal one. They probably don't just perform, they teach classes too, or do something connected to improv like run a theater. Or they started in improv and still do shows, but now make a living doing something related to it, but which pays better, like writing or acting for TV and film. If they make their money just from performing improv, that's incredible. And I suspect, with very few exceptions, temporary. Before recently cutting down my freelancing activities to accommodate a job as a copywriter at a tech startup, I made a living from teaching and performing improv in Amsterdam and around Europe. Footnote 6. Uh, I, some of the other things I did were uh, writing scripts, hosting events, teaching corporate team-building workshops on improv or otherwise, a little bit of voiceover work, and teaching writing workshops. All things that relate to improv or have sprung from it. It was great, but it was a tough grind. Managing my entrepreneurial admin... Organizing classes, traveling to festivals, working on forums. At the time, I relished the challenge of surviving by my wits and hustle, especially in a foreign country. And some cool gigs came in, like giving a workshop to 200 employees of the European Commission in Brussels, going for a week to Corfu with Impro Hotel, building up my own cycle of level one courses through Mezrab in Amsterdam. I mean, it was hard and uncertain, but it felt good and also somehow right for me to be a working improviser, even though I was making a lot of sacrifices. Eventually, I came to the realization that my single-mindedness was not only limited and limiting, it was also quite foolhardy. I was exhausted from trying to generate all this improv momentum, and the constant travel was putting a strain on my marriage. Besides, I was getting more and more work as a public speaking coach, event host, and writer. For me, it just stopped making sense especially when I could leverage my improv training and writing chops to help me make a decent living in other ways. Now, I still do gigs and teach courses and workshops at festivals, but it's something I do more for fun and as supplementary income. It's taken a lot of pressure off my improv and allowed me to pursue other areas of work and take on some other projects like finishing a book. And so I've been able to adjust my perspective on making a living as an improviser. 
For me, it turned out to not be the be-all, end-all I thought it was. Of course, if you can do it, you definitely should. And keep doing it for as long as it works for you. It's fun, surprising, and immensely gratifying, in my experience anyway. Don't ever change, except when you feel yourself or your circumstances changing. In that case, change. Improv in the background. When you look at performers who you really love and who are successful, whatever that means to you, recognize that they probably also do other stuff. If they're household names, like Will Ferrell, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, it's because they leveraged those improv skills into success as writers and performers. If they're successful doing other things, like self-publishing a book on improv or whatever, it's because they used their improv to push them into new directions. As great as improv is in and of itself, it's also an amazing facilitator, lubricant, access point, and development tool for a lot of related skills and fields. The ways you can make a living as an improviser seem limited, but the ways to make a living as someone with an improv background are almost unlimited, because everything you do benefits from your improv training, and some of them pay as well or better than improv. And if pursuing a living as an improviser isn't for you, there's even better news. Improv is a great hobby for those whose professions draw on their improv training very little, if at all. I'm thinking web developers, doctors, geologists, and event planners, among others. Once I opened my mind a little bit and let in other working opportunities, I was able to leverage my improv background into a varied career that allows me to do shows and teach, but also work on a relatively flexible schedule that has helped me buy a home and bring in regular income. However, it also meant that I gave up the idea of myself as a, this purely artistic spirit. This idea of quitting your improv dream may or may not appeal to you, and it also may or may not make sense for your circumstances. But in my case, now that I've managed to live professionally from improv, as well as having taught and performed around Europe and North America, I'm okay with moving into a new phase. Plus, I'm starting to save a little bit for retirement, and that may be something I'm grateful for down the line. So don't be shy about expanding your horizons and letting improv be just a part of your practice or a stepping stone to another career. Something for the fellas. An idea built the wall of separation between the sexes, and an idea will crumble it to dust. Sarah Moore Grimke. Here's a little piece of advice just for the men. Now, I don't mean to mansplain here, but this does bear saying and repeating, don't be a sexist asshole. Now, it might sound easy, and in fact, it's quite simple. Unfortunately, in practice, it can be challenging. Because as much as we improvisers tend to think of ourselves as this great global community, free of prejudices and negativity, improv is not a place free from sexism, judgments, and predatory behavior. Just like, so it seems every other industry. Now, I won't get into what goes on offstage here, but the take-it-easy method does include being chill when you're on stage with women. Footnote 7. Or anyone, no matter where they are on the gender spectrum. However, this advice applies most specifically to guys when they're performing with girls. Being an asshole on stage by, say, interrupting female players regularly designating them as secondary character hookers or waitresses, sexually objectifying them, telling them to shut up, or any number of things that might be going on under your awareness or may seem to be rewarded by audience response, cut it out. The problem is that this type of behavior creates a lack of trust, a negative environment, 
and consequently bad improv. So don't be an asshole. Put more positively, be a champ. It's surprising the effect actively being a positive force can have. For an art form that prides itself on being inclusive and egalitarian, it's astonishing how often women are treated poorly. That can be via exclusion, objectification, actual physical impropriety under the guise of offers, or any number of other things that might seem funny at the time but aren't, and certainly aren't funny in retrospect. When I was growing up, improv was a guy's racket, at least around me. That's not inherently a problem. I loved the camaraderie of practicing and performing with eight or ten other guys about my age, though I also lamented the lack of women involved. But now I get why it might not have appealed to them. What woman would want to show up and spend time with a bunch of socially awkward and hyperactive guys in their early 20s who are all trying to one-up each other comedically? Like I said, in my experience, I can think of just one or two. Again, there's nothing wrong with improvising with your friends, even if it's all dudes. If your improv group is 15 guys, carry on, my brothers. But as you meet other players, do mixer shows at festivals or play in mixed jams, a problem can arise. Because those habits you've developed and those jokes and moves that have gotten laughs from your buddies in a gymnasium without any women around, they're now internalized. It's now how you play. So if you've spent a lot of time caricaturing women in your rehearsals or getting laughs from your friends by trying to get a scene partner, male or female, to give you a blowjob, that will make it into your show. Our practice becomes our work. At a recent improv festival, which was generally wonderful, I was taken aback by the amount of negativity I saw towards women on stage. Offstage, everyone was as wonderful as I hoped they would be. But every night I saw something troubling. A woman objectified, a female performer having her ideas ignored continually by her male castmates, and scenes that included women being murdered offstage, paid for sex, also offstage, called ugly, and so on. As an audience member, it was distracting. And as a member of the improv community, it was frustrating. Surely we're better than this, I thought, and if we're not, we should be. And it wasn't just that our play should be more aware socially for social justice reasons, because the lesser point, one that is also important, is that it wasn't funny. Treating women on stage as anything less than scene partner geniuses, no matter the dynamic of your group, is amateurish, distracting, unfunny, and displays a real lack of sophistication. Footnote 8. In fact, treating anyone shitty on stage, guy, girl, or otherwise, is not cool or funny, it's just gross. So although in this book I try not to be too prescriptive, here I'll tell you this. Cut that shit out. Not because women can't help themselves on their own or can't handle your bullshit, and not because of systemic oppression, but simply because the work is better as a result. So be an advocate for equal play. Check in with your female counterparts about comfort levels with physical violence and intimacy, but mostly, you don't need to do anything different. Just come on stage with a warm willingness to play, no matter who your partner is. End of chapter and section.